The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. Today, we grow with a combination of LEDs and lasers. And with LEDs, we cut our energy footprint by probably around 50%, maybe even more. And with lasers, we may be able to get it down to maybe 35%. So, and I don't think we've even scratched the surface yet. I think we're, and we're realizing a lot about the plant. I think a lot of the time there was the assumption that you hit them hard and, you know, keep, hit them hard and hit them all day long. Well, there's not a lot of organic systems that do well under those situations. So we're seeing much more gradual way, you know, uses of energy within the farm as well. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 9. Regular listeners, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, I'm sure you're in the right place because you were looking for a show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. And guess what? You found it. I'm your host, Harry Duran, podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Junkies, and founder of Fullcast, our full-service done-for-you podcast agency. In case you missed last week's episode, great conversation with Lottie Van Tyne. We talked about her experience in greenhouses, her desire to circumnavigate around the world by water, and all the innovations that have been happening in that industry, and how much experience folks that are coming from the greenhouse side of things are bringing into the world of vertical farming. Very, very helpful and informative episode with Lottie. This week, I speak with Robin Vincent. He's the CEO and CINNO of Kenobi Technologies. If you've ever wondered how the world of tech collides with the world of ag, then prepare to be entertained with this episode. Robin takes us through his fascinating journey from his early fascination with technology and the evolution from infrastructure architect to CEO. He paints a vivid picture of his personal project to reduce the mortality rate of stingrays and seahorses, which I found super inspiring. And it's a venture that pushed him towards the creation of Kenobi Technologies. We cover a lot of ground. We talk about the innovations happening in this space, energy efficiency, and the potential of integrating all these different technologies together. He also talks about the importance of collaboration, the richness of experiential learning, and how Kenobi is empowering farmers with their tech. Robin's full of optimism for this industry, and I think you'll find his energy infectious. Remember, if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating or review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash BFP. I'd love to read yours out next. And as always, these episodes are chock full of great takeaways. And as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which includes all our guest links as well. 
Excited to be hitting the road at the end of this month, September 2023, as I record this. I'm heading over to the Vertiform Conference in Dortmund, Germany, which is going to be very exciting. I've never been in that part of the country before, and it's going to be an interesting day of travel for me coming from Minneapolis. Listen up for the details in the sponsorship promo. Okay, enough from me. Before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Robin, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. Mark your calendars for the CEA Summit East in Danville, Virginia from September 19th to the 20th, 2023. This two-day event co-hosted by Indoor AgCon and the Virginia Tech IALR Controlled Environment Agriculture Innovation Center brings businesses and academia together to help you grow your business. Immerse yourself in a full lineup of research showcases, panel discussions, and keynotes featuring top experts, grower operators, and other thought leaders. Explore the latest CEA innovations from tabletop exhibitors. Enjoy quality networking opportunities. Don't miss this unique opportunity to attend a conference at a research facility where you can get a first-hand look at cutting-edge research projects happening right now and explore ideas for collaboration with Virginia Tech and IALR researchers as well. Vertical Farming Podcast listeners can save 10% off the standard passes with code VFP. Visit ceasummit.com for more details and to register. This year, Vertiform takes place from September 26th through September 28th at the Exhibition Center in Dortmund, Germany. For those new to Vertiform, it's the most significant trade fair for next-level farming and new food systems. Their international platform is set to showcase the latest developments in innovative controlled production systems for vegetables, salad crops, herbs, and microgreens, as well as sustainable fish, insect breeding, fruit cultivation, and medicinal plants. Vertifarm is shaping the future of vertical farming and new food systems. Reserve your ticket and learn more at vertifarm.de. That's V-E-R-T-I-F-A-R-M dot D-E. So Robin Vincent, CEO and C-I-N-N-O at Kenobi Technologies, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Cool. Great to be here. I'm not as familiar with the CINNO role, so maybe start there with explaining <laughs> a little bit of that for folks that may not know. Well, my background is all technical. This is the first time I'm being a CEO. Okay. So naturally, I felt that I was definitely more on the technical side than the CEO side. But over the course of the company, I'm enjoying the CEO role a lot more than I thought I might. But I still like to keep it very clear that I'm still one of the, well, I am the lead technical engineer behind the entire thing. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about folks who may not know your background. I see you've got a long list of leadership positions previous to Kenobi. Without having to go through the entire resume, what are some of the highlights, if you think about it, and just maybe tenure chunks of the road that led you to where you are now? Yeah, well, I originally sort of started out life as an electrical engineer or taking an electrical engineering course. So that, and my father was an engineer, which is part of why I went down that path. So I think that gave me a lot of critical thinking and engineering type sort of skill sets. At the time, I was focused in the computer industry. And at that time, the computer industry, the computers were just unbelievably slow. Yeah. So I got more into the infrastructure side and worked my way through most computer departments within enterprises, so storage, networking, and so on and so forth. And a new role appeared in the industry just around the 2000s called an infrastructure architect, which is a multidiscipline role. And I sort of jumped on, actually, I didn't jump. My manager suggested the role title to me, which fit what I do very well. But just through natural osmosis, I think you sort of climb the ladder. And I spent the last 15 years in different levels of management. I've always been more, I think, of a shop foreman than a manager. 
I always like being out on the shop floor and even though it's computers and that's, there's not a real floor, but yeah, I like being out there working with the guys and keeping a bit of a technical role. Yeah. So I always like to think about this because of the era that I grew up. So I was born in 1970, but do you remember your very first computer? <laughs> yeah, actually I do. It was actually a portable computer called the Osborne. Oh yeah. And it weighed, it weighed a, a short, a small ton. <laughs> and it had yeah. a screen on it about that big. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first portable. My first computer was a laptop essentially. Yeah. And yeah. It was pretty cool. I was thankful enough that my father got into computer repairs and he was working at uh, Exxon of all places and they were dabbled in computers for a while. I don't know if you remember, they had a computer called Quix, which was an electronic yeah. typewriter. <laughs> it weighed, also weighed a ton and had a little thin screen. You could type one line at a time, do the autocorrect, yeah. and then he would enter and it would just, and it was magical at that time. I'm like, wow, you can like, you don't need to use whiteout on your typewriter anymore. <laughs> that was a big improvement. Yeah. Eight inch floppies. And yeah, I remember yeah. when they came up with this, the, Zip drives, wow, that was just a, a massive leap forwards. Yeah. That's quite special. Where did you think your love of, of technology and, and you know all things related to computers come from? Well, my father owned an electric a computer company, actually, a small computer company in England, which is how I ended up getting into electrical engineering because you know I wanted to work there. So but back then you needed an electrical engineering degree to service computers. I mean, that was back when we were using oscilloscopes and troubleshooting chips and you know, it wasn't the rip and replace that it is today. So I think that kind of got me started for sure. But I think just being around both my parents, they're both quite creative people. My father's an engineer. My mom's just a creative human being. So I just always had this wide-eyed approach to everything and just see the world as vastly unfinished. And yeah, just uh, I, I see solutions. I don't really see problems. That's a great perspective. Have you always been like a tinkerer when it comes to tech and electronics? Oh, <laughs> always. I think my mom told me once that they bought me, made the mistake of buying me a little home sort of saw and hammer at one point. I don't know how old I was, but I you know, decided to quickly dismantle my climbing frame the moment my parents were back. <laughs> I've been taking stuff apart since I can remember. Yeah. I'm getting better at putting it back together again. So that's the yeah. good that's the, that's the good side. It's, it reminds me of when I was younger, we would get, we would buy furniture and I would be the first one to race to my parents yeah. and volunteer and put everything out on the floor and, and the paper and just organize all the tools and everything, make sure everything that was in the sheet was included and then get to work on like a huge puzzle piece or something to work on. Yeah. You mentioned this idea of enjoying your time on what you call the shop floor. Is it important for you to always, you know, in terms of the teams you manage and the companies you're working at? to really have that understanding of the work that's being done. And so that you can understand as you manage people who are doing those jobs, that you can speak their language. And they also feel the connection with you because they know that you've also done the work as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's lots of different management styles. And my style definitely is orientated around understanding the content and being able to get in there, you know, roll the sleeves up and get in there with the guys and help them fix problems. It's also where I get a lot of the enjoyment. I enjoy being in the deep end. I enjoy learning. I enjoy solving problems. So management is its own set of problems and skill sets. But I would say I definitely get a lot more enjoyment out of fixing and solving, you know, real world problems. Yeah. Where do you think your management style comes from? Were there relationships with mentors or previous bosses that were inspirational in your growth? Absolutely. Yeah. 
I wouldn't actually be even attempting. I think I've been told in the past, and it's probably true, that I'm a better leader than I am a manager, for one. So I don't think management has ever come naturally to me, but I've been very, very lucky and very fortunate in my career to work with some really good managers. And I think that's the way life is. You sort of, you know, you take in pieces that you recognize you want to be like and integrate them into yourself. And um, I've been very, very lucky in that case and worked with, you know, I would say the majority have been fantastic. Yeah. Even exceptional. I've been very lucky. That's great. As you think about the where you were as you were moving into getting Kenobi started, can you take us back to that time? It looks like it's around 2019. You know, what was I'm a big fan of origin stories. So I'm curious about like how you were thinking about the inception of Kenobi and what was going through your mind at the time. Yeah, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try and keep it really short. So essentially, actually, Kenobi goes back to 2001. I was absorbed into aquariums, into freshwater you know, sort of hit the max on that, then got into salt water and very quickly found out, you know, it sort of started going up in terms of the more difficult species to keep and very quickly realized that the mortality rate for stingrays and seahorses, which I had sort of started looking at, was around 70% in the home aquarium industry. And to be honest with you, it, I, I just thought that was disgusting and, and actually didn't even want to be a part of it if that was the norm. But at the same time, I've always enjoyed that area. So I just kept at it and thought, well, you know, this is obviously probably most likely transplant sharks. So I started building a system to monitor what a fish tank probably should be based on the data that was available in terms of the ocean. Got that there and then started building up a system that would line two fish tanks together. And then started sharing the data with some suppliers that I were buying seahorses and stingrays from. And collectively, through sharing data and lining up environments, we were able to drop that mortality rate to about 40%. Wow. And that software continued to run my aquariums and still does today. In 2014, I decided I had this novel idea that I was going to build a little permaculture orchard because I wanted to, we have a farm. So I did that. And I actually, it was funny, I was still working full time, but I really enjoyed it. I, really, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And there was the final sort of movement of QNX and BlackBerry. I was with QNX at the time. And an opportunity came up for me to, you know, step out on my own or, you know, move over to BlackBerry. And I decided to step out on my own. And I just thought, well, you know, I think we're there. I think we can probably use all of the experience I have in, you know, managing data centers and environments and apply everything I've learned in my career to the indoor farming volume of air and see what I could do. And of course, at the time, the most of what was going on was in indoor, it was in medical cannabis. We ended up, I uh, just worked as a sort of pro services consultant for about four or five years. But every time I ran into a problem at a client site, I typically built a piece of software or something that would detect it in the future and then potentially even resolve it. And in about 2019, it really became obvious that I'd actually built a product. And I hadn't, didn't even have a website, just was still sort of running around word of mouth and decided, okay, I'm going to try and commercialize this. What was also a big inspiration for me was in 2014, I, you know, one of the reasons why I got into permaculture was I was just getting a little tired of, you know, buying garlic from China and beans from Peru. And I think seeing many of the things that we see in our big department stores today. So I got into it for food, really, spent that time in medical cannabis, learned an, an incredible amount. But then COVID happened. 
And so end of 2019, beginning of 2020, we were already doing some work internationally with some of our agri-agents and COVID happened and the door just swung wide open on food and we just raced right through it. So it was sort of the beginning of our commercialization and also with COVID, it was a big incentive for people to start looking at how they handle food sovereignty, food and food security. And I felt that a lot of that could be handled with what we were up to and where we've switched from about 95% cannabis customers to now we're about 70% food. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's that's sort of the origin of what is Kenobi today. We're still happy to have medical cannabis customers. We've never really dealt much on the rec side. We're really about a crop over crop consistency and some of the things that are very interesting or even requirements of the medical space. But we're involved in projects now all over the world, Africa, Middle East, here. A little less in Canada. Canada, though, this year, I've really seen an upturn. I think a lot of people now are really starting to focus on food and where they buy food. We are really focused, laser focused on mid-sized farms. We do have some larger customers, and of course, we're not going to turn them down, but we are very focused in terms of new business in the mid-sized farm. I think it's got a great deal of social value. It creates the jobs. I think it's got its own challenges, which is great. It's a very challenging area. And I like dealing with those size of businesses. So it's, yeah, that's where we are today. What were some of the challenges specifically for you as you were getting Kenobi off the ground in terms of building the team? Did you already have an idea what that makeup would look like? Did you know the specific roles you were trying to fill? I'm always curious about those early days. No, I don't think so. But I've been very lucky in the sense that I had a good group of advisors around me. And to be honest with you, that's there's been times in the very early stages I didn't. Doing this alone, you know, entrepreneurs, I think, generally face this issue that, you know, you just can't talk to anybody about what you're going through. Very difficult. It's quite a lonely business. So having a good group of people around with a very diverse set of experience has just been fantastic. So that's helped me decide you know, or to preempt where the weaknesses might be. But we also took the decision very early on to try and do this with revenue and debt, essentially, rather than going sort of a VC route. So in some respects, that's also helped us grow organically. We haven't had this massive cash infusion where we just sort of expand as quickly as we can. It's been quite organic growth. So I think that's also helped us you know, with each decision, it's been, okay, where do we have a gap? What do we need to fill? And do we have any redundancy in these areas? For the benefit of the listener who may not be familiar with Kenobi, can you talk about present day, what the current offering is and what the split looks like in terms of the markets you're serving? So, yeah, so we're very small still. Our Kenobi is primarily a software company. We do provide all of the hardware that our clients would require to run our software. This has just been primarily due to the fact that, you know, the software is only as reliable as the hardware that you run it on. So we do provide all of the hardware a client requires. The company itself, while it's a software company, also deals with agri-agents. We decided early on to sell through an agri-agent network. And, you know, for anybody that's not sure what an agri-agent is, if they've ever seen Clarkson's farm, there's the guy that advises Mr. Clarkson on how to run his farm. That's an agri-agent. So we actually use agri-agents to sell Kenobi for the most part. We do do some direct sales. So because of that, we were involved in farms that had those agri-agents had their suppliers. So we got to meet a lot of other suppliers. So we are sort of growing in two ways. 
Kenobi itself as a product has three core components. It has monitoring, so you can monitor air quality, nutrient quality of your farm. Okay. It has an industrial level PLC automation component. So essentially what you're monitoring, you can also manage. So yeah. you can manage your fans, your HVAC, and all of the electronics and components within the farm. And then we also have the business tools, which is a full ERP. So the goal is to move forwards on all three fronts so that we essentially can provide to a client all of the technologies within, you know, generally speaking, that they would require to run their farm. It's very modular. The last thing we wanted to be doing was, you know, getting into a situation or a conversation with a farmer that he loves a product, but he has to replace it in order to use ours. So we yeah. kept it very modular. Typically, when we're talking to clients, we identify the gaps, the places that they want to fix, and we're happy to fill that gap. We're not interested in displacing technologies that they, they're happy with. So because of that, we typically have a very small landing footprint. We don't, we're not there to take over the whole farm. We do tend to spread quickly. I think when people are faced with data and they look at it and they see what's going on, their natural propensity is to want to control it and do more with it. So we're certainly there to help with that. And we're, it's one of the reasons why we stay with, we're very focused on the mid-sized farm because when you start getting up into the much larger farms, the requirements of our business would have to go up in order to meet their requirements. So with a mid-sized farm, we're able to keep our team efficient, relatively small, and we still are a very small team. We're about 13 or 14 full-time, about 30, including people around the world that we take on part-time. And we've got, I think it's about 16 or 17 agri-agents worldwide. Okay. I noticed on the, the blog that you make reference in the post to some of the work that you're doing in your in-house lab. And so it sounds, you know, following up on your comment about using data, I get the sense that you're, you're doing a lot of testing about seeing what works and what doesn't in-house as well. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Well, I've always believed that we learn an awful lot more from our failures and our successes. So, and whilst in the early days, it was very common to have clients who say, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll give me a good deal and you can use my facility for testing. <laughs> the moment you ruin a crop, that whole positive side of it disappears. Yeah. So quite early on, we decided to build our own facility. So we have a small 2,500 square foot indoor farm. And we spend most of our time trying to call, you know, breaking it. We want to look at what happens when it breaks, identify how things break, what breaks first. And, you know, because of that, we also focus on a lot of very challenging crops. And right now, one of those challenging crops is strawberries. So while we're busy trying to break everything and figure out how not to grow strawberries, we're also trying to figure out how to keep them going. So it's kind of a, a very cool environment. And I'm like that. I have been on my whole career and everybody that works for the company is like that. We're all fail fast. Yeah. And I completely support the trying of new ideas. How do you make decisions about what to work on? I saw a post about your 27-day bean and your glacier tomato as well. You know, there, there seems to be no limit to all the things you can do. But I think at some point you have to make a decision about what makes the most sense for your efforts. Yeah, so I'm very clear about our efforts in the sense that we are all here to improve Kenobi's product. Okay. But if I was the only person that was driving what we grow, how we grow it, I think I'd probably be limiting the company. So... A lot of these, like the 27-day bean, is actually one of our employees that I, I just told everybody, look, go out and find the weirdest stuff, constantly find the weirdest stuff. We'll try and grow it. You know, If we don't think it'll fit in a vertical farm, we'll try and grow it in a vertical farm. And we'll just constantly try things and we'll see what works and what doesn't. So there's a side of the business that's you know planting 
all kinds of different things and seeing how they grow. But the real focus is on the environment profiles, what grows with what, what can grow in the same nutrients. There's no doubt that the vertical farming and indoor farming industry is very new. And I think that there's a lot of data coming out of universities, very useful data. But much of that data, you know, it's not combination data. It doesn't say, well, hey, if you want to grow strawberries, you can't grow something else with them. Yeah. Or nothing else will grow in that environment. So we regularly grow lettuce with strawberries, strawberries with eggplants to see what works, what doesn't do the timing still hold? Do they grow slower or faster? And this is just a part of us having the lab. It would be for naught if we weren't trying to grow things. So yeah, the employees pretty much have free reign actually as to what we try and accomplish on that side of things. We also feed everybody from the lab. So we have, I met a a fantastic group called Ubuntu Wellness in South Africa. They produce a recipe book that is based on rolling back diabetes and uh, hypertension from using very basic natural foods that grow in Africa. So I came back and said, okay, here's the book. Let's figure out how much of this stuff we can grow in our lab. And let's cook lunch for everybody every lunchtime. Because part of just growing plants, you don't necessarily decide to harvest them at the time to eat them because you're there to grow them. I mean, we grew a two and a half foot diameter lettuce at one point. It wasn't very good, but we, we grew it. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of forced us into a pattern of, okay, well, we're growing it, but we want to make sure that we were, when are we harvesting it? Are we harvesting it early or late? And because now we're eating it, well, that's driven a lot of those, that data. So, yeah. What drove the trip to South Africa and in general, the work you're doing in other countries? I don't know what drove it. Well, I think life drove it. Yeah. Um, you know, I would meet people and they would say, hey, you got to come here and you speak at this show. And that was a lot of last year, actually. I have been in South Africa. I was there when I was a kid. I was 1976. I don't remember a lot about it, but I remembered it as a very beautiful country. My uncle mm-hmm. lived there for most of his life. Okay. So I already kind of had a propensity to want to go back. And kept running into these people. And one of the people that I'd run into wanted to grow. It was a grower in South Africa who was looking to grow strawberries in a vertical farming system we had in our lab. And because of the way Kenobi's built, we can deal with remote growers. So I said, okay, you grow the strawberries in our lab. I'll come down there. He's an agri-agent of ours now, and I'll meet some of your clients. So I went there. And as it turned out, we are dealing with our lighting partner is now from South Africa. And we have a product called the Micro Farm, and that is actually manufactured part of it in South Africa as well. So going there actually led to a whole ton of benefits. Has that opened your eyes to the opportunities that might be available in markets where people may not be paying much attention? Absolutely. And, you know, I often bring up the fact that, actually, I shouldn't say fact, because I don't know how much verification <laughs> I've done on it, but I have I heard once that around 100 years ago, we had, you know, farming in North America hired more people than any other vertical. And today we have more inmates than we have farmers. So that's the part, I'm not sure that that's a fact, but I've heard it more than once. And what's interesting is I'm up on the stage talking about this thing, and I realized, you know what, we're all running around building farms right now, but what we're actually not doing is building farmers. And if you look at, you know, Canada, we still don't have a lot of controlled environment, if any, controlled environment courses in our universities yet. The colleges are coming up fast, and yet we're doing envir- controlled environment agriculture through cannabis for 20 years. So one of the things that I think has really 
not so much been surprising maybe, but it's certainly eye-opening is the access for people to learn new skills and their interest in agriculture. I mean, sure, it's driven a lot by what happened with COVID, but I think also there's a lot of people that want to rebuild the relationship with their food and through farming as part of that revenue or that avenue. And I also think where we're 70% women, I think, in Kenobi at the moment. I've also noticed that there's a great deal of interest from women around the world. Yeah, We put up our Kenobi Academy online and we've noticed that, you know, there are people signing up from South Africa just to go through our public courses. So there's obviously a real desire for maybe people that don't necessarily have access to schools or the money to go through education that are now realizing that online they can. So it's a big part of what we're doing actually is focusing on education. We built the Kenobi Academy to train our customers, but actually have realized it could be a really useful tool for anybody to learn how to do controlled environment agriculture. Makes a lot of sense. I saw that your team was also at Vertiform last year. I'll actually be attending this year, so I don't know if you'll be returning, but it'd be nice to connect if we do. Yep. Yeah, the next big one for me is Green Tech, which is next week. Yes. And then we're at the summit, the Innovation Summit in New York in two weeks. Oh, and the, I'll be in there. I'll be there as well. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm probably going to travel a little less than I did last year. Last year was, I love traveling, but I got to admit by the end of last year, I was, <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I'm going to spend some time at home. How do you feel about the conversations you have there? Because I noticed you get to slow down and, and shake hands. And, and for me, it's helpful because I get to meet some of the, the guests that have been on the show, but I also get to meet, come home with 10 or 15 new guests that are potentials for the show as well. And, and what's your experience been connecting with folks at these types of conferences? I think it's great, actually. My gears have shifted. In, in the past, I was part of other companies that I did shows and I was like, yeah, geez, I, I don't know how much value we get out of this. But at a lot of the shows we did last year, I did a lot of speaking. So saw a different side of it. And we got a lot of value from that and a lot of a lot of interactions with people. I'm not naturally the type of person that walks up to strangers. So I don't tend to meet as many people as some of our, our salespeople do. But I think it's incredible to be, you know, I don't know how many opportunities you get in your life to be at the beginning of an industry. And so it's, it's really wild. You know, it's, yeah. it's very cool. There are so many great ideas out there. There's so many great products and people that are working really hard. It's really cool. Yeah, it's been exciting, really, right for me, because I, I actually started it in March of 2020, the show. So think about timing just before COVID hit. And it wasn't intentional, but all the things that happened because of COVID, to your point, and supply chain disruptions, if, access yeah. to fresh food deserts, all of this became top of mind. And so I'm grateful to have been at the right place and right time and just along for the ride as well, because it's been really exciting to see all the development that's been happening. Yeah, I know it was very, very difficult for a lot of people. But for us, actually, I think it's been good. And I think, you know, the the sort of outcome of this is to decide what we want to learn from it and what we take away from it and what do we want to go back to. And I hope and believe that we've identified some gaps in our food chain in terms of where we get our food from. And I think there's a lot of opportunities to fill those gaps and, and meet those needs, reduce the field to plate. And, you know, I, I say this quite a bit, but I'm really excited about the fact that, you know, one of the three, one part of the problem is, I believe, fully now solved is that 
technically speaking, every single human being on this planet could have access to food. Yeah. We now have the technical ability to grow food anywhere on this planet. Yeah. It's really so, exciting. Money and political will. Yeah. And obviously with new industries, there's a lot of hype. And we've seen a lot of news about companies getting a ton of funding. And to your point earlier about companies that receive VC funding, and we've seen how some of those have turned out, not necessarily for the better. So there's a lot of interesting, I would imagine, attention from the outside, people seeing, again, trying to decide if this is a Fed, is there, what do the cycles look like specifically for this? So I want to talk about some of the things that maybe people don't talk about much in vertical farming, and it's something they get highlighted in articles outside the industry. Let's talk a little bit about the use of energy and the energy footprint in these vertical farms and what your take on that is. I think when this all started, I mean, well, for me, when it all started, even back in 2014, indoor farming was probably, you know, incredibly inefficient in many respects. A lot like a data center is at times, you're putting energy into the computing part and you're paying to cool it. It's a sort of lose-lose. And farming was is at that time was very similar. But the thing is that not so much maybe in Canada, but in a lot of other parts of the world where there are power issues and there are resource constraints more than we have here, there's been a tremendous amount of innovation that have brought down the energy footprint of an indoor farm. And on the other side of that, you have the renewables coming up in efficiency. So, you know, we ourselves, you know, started out the same as everybody else. We were growing with metal halide or sodium lights, you know, horribly inefficient, ton of IR, you know, pain all through nose for the HVAC to get rid of the heat. Today, we grow with a combination of LEDs and lasers. And with LEDs, we cut our energy footprint by probably around 50%, maybe even more. And with lasers, we may be able to get it down to maybe 35%. So, and I don't think we've even scratched the surface yet. I think we're, and we're realizing a lot about the plant. I think a lot of the time there was the assumption that you hit them hard and, you know, keep, hit them hard and hit them all day long. Well, there's not a lot of organic systems that do well under those situations. So we're seeing much more gradual way, you know, uses of energy within the farm as well. So we're coming at this from so many different angles that every, I would say every month, there are new products that in some way impact the energy efficiency of an indoor farm. So much so that, you know, we are, we have this thing called a micro farm. It's about 20,000 plants. And, you know, we were looking at the numbers and we want to partner up with a solar energy company. But I thoroughly believe with the energy increases from renewables, we're getting very close to the fact that with a high efficiency farm, you would actually be better off planting solar panels that could then power the farm and they would actually be surplus at certain times of the day, wow. which is pretty incredible. You know, I don't think we're going to be growing corn indoors anytime soon, but if you look at this from filling gaps, high margin products, I think it's very much within reach of a profitable business. That's for sure. That's really exciting, especially when you know you see a lot of people complaining about their use of energy, and then the fact that companies are you know greenwashing the benefits of vertical farming in terms of their and how they mention it in their marketing. But it's interesting to see that the same perspective that you take on testing crops is also an approach you take when looking at different ways to manage and play with new energy options within your farm as well. Yeah, I think I'm not a big fan of silver bullets. I think hybrid approaches, combinations are how we really make a dent in the energy footprint and the ecological footprint. 
it's really in the combination and our use of lots of different technologies, each of them shaving a little bit off that cost and making things more efficient where we know of a chiller that is out of Korea that, and I mean, there's other people that make them, they're adsorption chillers. They turn waste heat into cooling. So you're not paying as much on the electricity side to do your HVAC. So there's all kinds of things going on all over the world that may or may not be suited for every area. But if you apply them in that area, well, then they can be huge wins. The other side of the coin, of course, is the single use products. You know, we're out there talking about food security. You know, one of the things that I'm always cognizant of and looking for solutions to is not solving one supply chain issue by building in another. If we build in these multi-use products versus single use products, well, then we're farming in the sense that farm can run independently as as much as possible for long periods of time versus relying on more supply chain downstream to keep it running. Where are you seeing the most innovation or areas that have you excited, whether it's around the use of single use or multi-use products or anything in the energy sphere? Lighting is definitely a keystone component. For every watt you light with you, you've got to deal with the heat. Yeah. So lighting is definitely somewhere that I think I see a tremendous amount of innovation. And it's one of the reasons why we're partnered with Radcorp, the company in South Africa, because they are spending a tremendous amount of time innovating regarding, you know, shifting light spectrums and, you know, being doing a lot more to replicate what goes on in nature than than just sort of lights on, lights off. So I think lighting is is probably the area that is advancing a great deal and will affect everything else underneath it. Vertical farms in their many iterations, I think, are is the real big game changer. We obviously know we have to increase our food output, which generally means food density. And in our vertical farming solution, that we partnered up with partners to put together. So it's not ours. We're still a software company. We're very focused on the sort of eight foot mark so that you're not on ladders and and lifts. But I think that will be one of the next big innovations is how do we go up in a meaningful, efficient way? Yeah, I have been seeing some of that innovation happening in the cannabis space. There's a a company that I've had conversations with and they're working on a podcast. That's how I'm familiar with what they're doing. It's called PIP and they are having success with multi-tier installations, double tier. And I think there was even a triple tier installation. So obviously experts in the racking space would probably be the first folks who'd be interested in maybe partnering or having conversations around what's the best use of making all these combinations work most efficiently. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, you know, there's the two big train of thoughts, which is get the human to the plant or the plant to the human. So many verticals are, you know, sort of chair lifts or or scissor lifts and so on and so forth. And then there's a lot of a lot of innovation going on in the whole idea of bringing the trays to the people. Yeah. And I see a lot of innovation in both areas. I think there a lot of it's really, really cool. You may have a different answer to this next question, depending on the day that I ask you. But for now, as of today, what's the tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? You know, I think growth, you know, how do we, finding good people is very difficult. Yeah. So, you know, there's the growth of the business, but that has to be in balance with the growth of the people within the business and then bringing people in. So growth is a big one. Finance is another massive one because taking the route that we've taken, which is revenue, is very tough. It's a lot tougher than maybe going out to VC. So am I making a mistake doing that? 
So those are the really big challenges for me. I think it's also probably because I am an infrastructure guy in the back end. So the technology problems don't phase me very much. Yeah. It's the business, but it's lonely. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you've got to be honest with yourself. So that, that's, a, that's not easy either. <laughs> Yeah, as a fellow entrepreneur, I can definitely relate to the lonely aspect of the journey and having to figure it all yourself sometimes. <laughs> and helpful, also helpful to have a peer, whatever you want to call it, your mastermind group, your peers, or, yeah. or folks you can, you know, run ideas by. I think there's something to be said for having people that whose opinions you trust is really important. Oh, uh, absolutely. And one of those, you know, that I got to say is just absolutely invaluable for me just recently told me that, you know, in his opinion, running a Fortune 500 was not as difficult as running a startup. Mm. And yeah, I mean, some <laughs> days, it's a good thing my office doesn't have any windows in it. I'm on the ground floor as well, though, so yeah. that's not really going to help. <laughs> so I think what I love about your approach, Konomi's approach, is the fact that you're always testing things out and you're using data to make really informed decisions. And I think that's probably one of the benefits of folks that work with you is you're always Look, whether you're looking at crops, whether you're looking at, you know, technology solutions or equipment configurations. And so when you think about who would be an ideal client or who would make sense to partner with Kenobi? So the, the ideal client for us would be anybody that is either entering into this space. And we have some very, very small clients with the goal of growth. So I wouldn't say that a guy that wants to grow in his garage or in his shed in the back is probably a good fit for us, but somebody who's building a proof of concept to build out a farm, then that would be a, a very good customer for us. And that goes all the way up to probably farms in the sort of, you know, 250,000 square foot range. So really mid-sized, small businesses. We talked a little bit about growth and I approach clients in the same way as I approach our business. I really believe if you're getting into this space, and this may not apply to the really big guys, but that you should start small, focus on quality, get a fantastic quality going, find a place to sell it. You probably won't have a problem with that if you've got great quality. And all of the people that I've known of, that have followed that path are sold out for every crop they have. And I think that's... Every business, as you mentioned, that I've seen go straight to the $50, $100 million facilities, it's a much tougher game. I mean, and, and we do it all the time. We're always swapping out crops and technologies. And boy, you know, we really run into the wall sometimes. And, you know, doing that at 400, 1,000 plants, you can learn a lot from that. But doing that yeah. at 1 million plants, I'm not sure that's more of a splat than it is an education. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that companies that are looking for growth, and mid-sized companies are really where we're at. Distributed too. We're involved in a, a few social programs in Africa that I think is also a great opportunity for us. And then we do have a version of Kenobi now for education for schools. So I love the fact that you do that as well. Why do you think the social component is important for you as an organization to be involved in? I think if you're going to contribute, there has to be value other than money. Yeah. And I want to contribute. I think, you know, I mean, it's, it maybe sounds a bit big-headed or arrogant, but I'd like to leave the world a little better than I found it. And it's funny in the data center world doing everything I did. I don't, you know, I think I helped, but I don't know that I improved it. I think this is an area where I can. And I think when you, like, 
you know, we've had students come in, come from agricultural families, and you ask them, do you want to be in agriculture? And they'll tell you, absolutely not. Right? It's dirty. My, you know, parents are exhausted, tired, yeah. sick, tractors, no chance. But when they are from their cell phone tablet for two months, it's a completely different thing. Take a strawberry and actually eat it when it's ripe. Yeah. It's a whole different environment. And I get I guess I get a lot of value out of seeing that happen and knowing that if we're actually going to feed the planet and we do it through millions of small farms versus you know hundreds of thousands of big ones, I think that's going to hire a lot more people. It's going to drive a lot more innovation, build a lot of more a lot of financial ecosystems around that. I just see this as a win, a massive win. And we all it's get really to eat good food. Yeah, <laughs> to boot as well. So as we get close to wrapping up, Robin, one of the things I've been doing is leaving some space at the end of these conversations for you as a platform. A lot of your colleagues, your fellow leaders in the vertical farming space have not only been on the show, but also listened to this show. So is there a message that you have for the vertical farming industry that is top of mind for you now? No. Well, I think we all <laughs> need really keep going with what we're yeah. doing. I know that there's a lot of negative press at times about indoor farming and controlled environment farming. There's a lot of climatic pressure on greenhouses and consolidation is always there to help. So I think that my message would be that rather than consolidation, with all of these technology advancements, not just in Kenobi, it's getting a lot less expensive than they may think. They should look for alternatives because there are lots of alternatives out that do the homework for sure. But it's not, you know, there's the big guys that are out there. And, you know, I've heard of a lot of clients that have gone there and believe they just can't afford to do this. And that's not the situation anymore. There are a lot of in a very innovative and very cost-effective solutions, including Konami. Yeah. Uh, one thing that did catch my eye from the blog, and I probably would be remiss if I didn't mention it because... AI is the hot topic now, but I, I did see that you do you have partnered with Harvest AI, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your initiative there as well. Yeah, I met Harvest AI actually in Germany, and they're a fantastic group of guys and girls, and they are building an artificial an AI platform to look at yield. So okay. they're essentially using different technologies to assess the yield of a plant. That's exciting. Yeah, Kenobi itself does not have any core competencies yet in AI. And I believe in growing through, you know, partnerships and, and sort of a modularity. We got along really well, see a lot of things, uh, I think, in the same way. So we sort of have a vector to help them commercialize. And I think what they're doing is absolutely fantastic. I think mid-sized farms are going to need more advanced technologies, maybe than even the bigger guys, because they're yeah. going to be growing more diversity. And they, a mid-sized farm can't necessarily hire a subject matter expert in every field. So they're going to rely on technology a lot more and more of a farm by wire model than maybe the bigger guys who can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm expecting to see a lot of movement in that space as well. So yeah, it's exciting. Me too. Yeah. yeah, very. Well, Robin, I want to thank you for spending some time with me and for your team for reaching out and making this happen with so many companies in the space. And you know, I keep saying I thought I was going to be done after a couple of years and there's just so much innovation happening. So exciting to not. see <laughs> with my interviews as at least, but it's so exciting to see all the different facets and all the different ways you're supporting, especially mid-sized farms and the approach that you've taken of 
all the work that you do being backed by data and a lot of testing. And I really, and I'm going to encourage listeners to check out all that your extensive blog posts. There's a ton of content there. The website is kenobiactech.com, but we'll be sure to include all the links in the show notes. And it's so exciting to see how your career trajectory is almost like prepared you for this moment in time to take advantage of this. And so I'm really excited for the future and can't wait to hear more and to hopefully get to meet in person at an upcoming conference. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening. As always, eternally grateful to my guests for spending that precious hour of time with me and sharing their story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find summaries, key takeaways, and resources mentioned, and also a back catalog of all our past episodes. Special thanks to our title sponsor, AgTech Marketing Team. If you or your team have been struggling to come up with a comprehensive social media marketing plan and don't know where to begin, reach out to them today. With expertise in strategy, paid media, community management, content generation, influencer, and email marketing, their team can have you up and running in a fraction of the time it would take you to hire a full team and at a fraction of the cost. Learn more at agtechmarketingteam.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. To learn about the five key pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching, visit fullcast.co and watch the free video. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed this episode or past episodes, do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.